Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? Wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome back to btr boxing podcast network this is the big fight preview and i'm your host sean joined as always by johnston for sol canelo alvarez versus jamel charlo the undisputed super middleweight crown is on the line as charlo jumps up two weights to challenge sol alvarez but it isn't the only fight on this weekend guys it is a stacked weekend for boxing and it's not the only world title fight on this weekend. We also have Jai Opataya defending his IBF Cruiserweight Championship for the first time since he beat Marius Bradis last year. He's defending it against Manchester's own Jordan Thompson. A huge step up for Jordan. And will Ringwas play a factor in this particular fight? Also on the card, Ellie Scottney defends her IBF Super Bantamweight title. Caroline Dubois challenges for the vacant IBO World lightweight title. We've got fighters including Jordanius Ugas, Alexander Gervik, Frank Sanchez. We've got a, an underrated heavyweight class going on this weekend as well between Murat Gassiev and Otto Volin. There is a lot to go through in this episode, but predominantly it is about the biggest fight of the weekend, Johnston, which is Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charlo. It's finally upon us, and it feels like we've got another exciting potential fight right in front of us. But when we look at this fight, we look back at the history of fighters jumping up in weights. It's not really that successful for certain fighters when they jump up so many weights at once to be able to go and challenge a big fighter like Canelo. And for us as UK fighter fans, like the most notable ones recently have obviously been Kel Brook and Gennady Golovkin. And then, of course, Amir Khan jumping up to middleweight to fight Canelo Alvarez when he was down at middleweight. So... It doesn't really work out that well for fighters when they jump up significant amount of weight categories. However, as per Charlo, he thinks he's going to do it. He thinks he's going to be the man to dethrone Canelo in the super middleweight division. Johnston, 
what are your initial thoughts on the fight, the jump up in weight and really the event itself? It's another big fight this year. And I was just having a little look back on some of these big fights and I just got to roll a few of them off here. So you've had Paterviev stopping yards. You've had Lara forcing Woods corner to Fran towel. You've had Wood then outpointing and outclassing Lara in their rematch. You've had Benavides outpointing Caleb Plant. You've had Davis becoming the first to defeat Ryan Garcia. Chantel Cameron stunning Ireland and beating Katie Taylor. Haney taking a controversial win against Lomachenko. You've had Taylor losing his title to Lopez. Inoue becoming a four-weight world champion by stopping Stephen Fulton Jr. And then, of course, you've had Terence Crawford battering the shit out of Errol Spence Jr. in a fight we was waiting for a very long time for. And the reason why I'm rolling off those fights off in particular, no heavyweights in there, because these lower divisions have really... Um, they've, they've kept boxing going for this year. They've kept us competing with the UFC, which people were beginning to prefer more than boxing. And these, those fights and these fights that we need. And then you look at the four future fights with Wood again in action against Warrington. You've got Cameron and Taylor too. And you've got Sonny Edwards against Jesse Bam Rodriguez, which is a great fight. And then we have this one. We have Canelo Alvarez against Jamel Charlo for the undisputed super middleweight title. These lower classes are where it's at at the minute. And this is just another one of those big fights for this year. That'll be the 11th for my count with another three to go. You know, will there be another one in the pipeline? Hopefully. But all in all, it's a successful year. And when you look at this, it's just, it's great. I mean, I'm really excited about it. And my hat goes off to Jamel Charlo for trying to be great and take on Canelo Alvarez in a big fight for him in a, in a new division two weights above. Will it be any... Look, this guy's a big fella. I don't know how he made it to to be in in one four five division one five four division for so long. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a huge jump for him. Uh, we'll come to that, but it's just great to have another big fight, and it's keeping boxing going, Sean, isn't it? Well, the lower weight categories are ruling supreme, as you rightly pointed out, and you've pointed out some of the best fights of the year. The the biggest fights of the year have been in the lower weight categories, and. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm glad you've rolled that off, to be honest, because when you put it like that, it really does paint the picture of where boxing is at, which is the lower weight categories. The heavyweight division, one of the glamour divisions of the sport, just doesn't seem to be living up to the hype it needs to live up to at the moment. And and hopefully next year, as we always say, next year will be that year. But as it stands, it is the lower weight categories. And again, Saul Canelo Alvarez probably the face of boxing I still agree he is the face of boxing at this moment in time and he's got this obviously fight he was last in action against John Ryder earlier this year John Ryder had his opportunity to go to Mexico and try to dethrone the champion he wasn't able to do it but he's shown some absolute cojones in trying to do it and he went the distance of course with Sol Canelo Alvarez who now takes on another challenger another fighter who has moved up in weight to challenge him for that mantelpiece of undisputed super middleweight champion. I suppose we've got to really talk about the weight. That's probably the biggest conversation starter really here is the fact that Charlo is moving up two weights. He normally fights at 154 pounds, a super welterweight division. He's been undisputed champion at that division. I don't know for how much longer he will be classed as undisputed champion before the belts potentially get fragmented. But at this time, He's taken the opportunity to go for broke, to make a name for himself even bigger than what it already is. But he's got a massive task in front of him because he's jumping up in weight category. I know what you're saying, Johnston, about the fact that you know he doesn't really walk around 
at £154 and that we struggle to see how he's made that for his last few fights. Is inactivity, though, a problem for him? Because for me, I think I think it is. I think when you look back at his last few fights, he's fighting on average once a year in the past three years. This will be the first fight of the year for him. Now, I know he's obviously had issues. He's had to have operations, and I know, in his hand. And there's been things that have kept him out of the ring as a result. But he hasn't fought since he had that rematch with Brian Carlos Castano in May 2022 when he stopped him in 10 rounds. So, for me, this is going to be a problem for him going into this fight because he's not had any type of, of warm-up fight or tune-up fight or... You know, he's not been in a camp and had a fight since then. Obviously, he's in a training camp and he's been in a training camp for this fight. But I think all that plays a factor when you go into a fight. And I think this is the biggest fight of his career. This is the one that could really cement his legacy and make a name for himself worldwide. But all this other stuff that I'm mentioning, surely, Johnston, that has to play a factor in going into this fight. I think he does. Look, he, he's not tested the water in a, in a new division, which is a problem, especially when you're fighting an undisputed super middleweight champion, the best super middleweight around at the moment. Now, he dared to be great and took on Bivol in the light heavyweight division. Didn't work out for Canelo. Uh, Bivol was too big, too strong and too active. Used great footwork. And no doubt, Charlo would be looking at that fight and thinking, I, I need to try and do the same. Trouble is, is Charlo's not a huge... He's not going to be a huge puncher against Canelo. I don't feel that he's going to... He's mentioning he's going to knock him out. Look, Canelo has got probably the hardest chin in boxing. Um, I think um, that's pretty... That, that, thing, that rings true in my ears. I, honestly, I, I can't see anyone else. They were the only one was Joyce, and that's just been absolutely rendered by Big Bang Zhang. So, I think Alvarez is your toughest chin in the game, and Charlo... That he has to knock him out, though, Sean. You know, that's the first thing you're going to be thinking. He has to knock him out. Bivol dominated Canelo for me. 10 rounds of those 12. I mean, maybe nine. Um, and it was a close decision. I mean, what does Charlo need to do to beat Canelo? He needs to be absolutely brilliant. Like His footwork needs to be great. He needs to do everything right. And perfect, which is just, it's impossible for a fighter that's been out of the ring for as long as he has. No matter what you do in training camp, no matter what you've done on the pads and with your trainers and the different stuff you've you've implemented into your game, there is no way that you are going to be going into that ring 100%. I mean, Canelo's only out in May in a tough fight against John. John Ryder gave him some trouble. I say that. Canelo dropped off towards the end and let loud Ryder to come into it. But for me... Yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem, Sean. I don't think the weight is necessarily that much of a problem for Charlo, but I think his inactivity is going to be the problem. Um, and he's fighting, you know, eagerly, easily the top four fire in the world, five top five fire in the world in terms of his where he is at the minute, but in terms of his name and what he brings and the money he brings, you know, the guy's out there on his own. It's just, this is the first fight for PB for PBC and in a free fight deal and you can't help but think logistically this is probably the perfect fight and they expect him to come through and win this show yeah I would have thought so I mean initially my thoughts on this was exactly what I've just said before which was weight inactivity ring rust all them factors that play a part in the success or 
a fighter being unsuccessful in a big fight is is going to play a, a massive part in this fight. Like I like Charlo. I've liked what he's done so far. I've liked that you know he he lost a fight and then he came back and then he ended up going on to be undisputed super welterweight champion. I like that he did that. I like that he came back after the Brian Castano first fight, came back and left no questions unanswered in there by beating him more emphatically. So I like that he's done that. Obviously, because of issues outside of the ring, out of his control, he's not been able to be as active as what he would have liked to have been. And he jumps straight back into the, a big fight like this where you don't really know what the motives are behind it. Are the motives behind this fight money? Are the motives behind it literally just for glory? It, it does make me one make me wonder sometimes like why fighters take these risks because it is a risk for him jumping up in weight. It is a risk for him having not been in the ring for so long. Why why is he taking this risk? Is it just because it's a big money fight? You know, you get an opportunity to fight Saul Canelo Alvarez and you know you're going to get a minimum guaranteed amount of X amount of of, of million of dollars. It doesn't matter, does it? You're just going to take the fight. I mean, someone called if someone called me up tomorrow and said, "I want you to take a fight against such and such a body," even if I knew there was not a cat and else chance I'm going to win the fight. If someone presents me with that level of life changing money and an opportunity to actually further my success, even if I lost, then I think it'd be a no brainer. Really, I think it would. However, I don't think Jamel has that mentality going into it. Uh, I, I question it, but I do think as a fighter, he, he genuinely believes that he's going to be the man that's going to be able to move up and cause this big upset in the super middleweight division. And you look at Canelo Alvarez's super middleweight career, it, it's, it's excellent. I mean, it does it does kind of compare to some of the best super middleweights in, in history now. I think you've got to start giving him props now for the run of fighters that he's faced in this super middleweight division, haven't you? You've got to, you've got to. I think you genuinely have to give him that level of credit. I mean, if you go back through his career and you look at when he started to move into the super middleweight division and he starts to... He fought Golovkin in the super middleweight division. He fought Rocky Fielding. He fought Danny Jacobs. He's fought Callum Smith. He fought Yildirim. He fought Billy Joe Saunders. Caleb Plant. He then moved up to light heavyweight. He fought Bivol. Came back down. Fought Golovkin. Then fought John Ryder. His resume in the super middleweight division is pretty good for its generation. And there's not many fighters that can compare against him. The likes of Carl Froch, maybe Joe Calzaghe, maybe Andre Ward. You know, there's a few select fighters you could say in, in recent times in the super middleweight division that you could kind of compare him against as a super middleweight. So for, for me, it's a big ask for Charlo to be able to go in there and dethrone him because I think we've clearly seen that this is the best weight for Canelo Alvarez. This is his most dominant weight. This is his most successful weight in my eyes. So for me, it's a big task for Charlo. But how does he do it? Like you said about footwork, you said everything's got to be on point. But then the argument is bring rust inactivity. So he's got to do something absolutely out of this world special for me to go in there and beat Alvarez. Or he has to hope that Alvarez has overlooked him and that he's slipping a little bit himself because there has been rumours about that. I don't believe it personally, but there has been rumours he likes to drink now in between fights and he likes to party a little bit more than what he used to. That could just be all a load of crap for media purposes for people to report on. But, you know, he's 33 now, Canelo. He's got how many years left? Four, maybe? Five years at most, depending on how much desire and hunger he has. And I mean, Marvin Hagler's most famous quote was about sleeping in silk pyjamas and wanting to get up for, to go for a run. You know... 
how much of that has Canelo got left in him? Because he's got this free fight deal, and this is the first of that. Two more fights. That could be it. You know, for all we know, that could be the two more fights, and he's and he's all said and done. So there's a chance for Charlo. There is a chance. I'm not writing this guy off. I'm not saying it's a one-sided victory for 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 Canelo, but based on what we've seen, I think Canelo is more likely to be the guy that people are expecting to win this fight. Does Canelo have to do anything different, Johnston, in this fight? Or can he execute the game plans he's previously executed against a, a guy that maybe will bring a little bit of something different to the table? Because let's be honest, Alvarez has seen it all. He has, and, and you're right, in terms of his super middleweight dominance um, and his last sort of sequence of fights, even before that, he's had a great sequence of wins and he had the draw and the fights with Golovkin, which, you know, I, I have my opinions on. I'm going to go there and the drugs thing. Put that to the side for the minute. He's a great fighter to watch. And that fantastic rung in, in the division below the middleweight and the super middleweight and then jumping up to light heavyweight and doing the business there. And then trying again um, at light heavyweight with Bivol. Canelo has tried his best to cement his legacy. He's already a Hall of Famer. Um, if he'd have beaten Bivol, then even then he would have just taken him to a, a, another level. But it was a win-win for, for, for Canelo in a way. Because he moved up there to be great to fight one of the best fighters in the light heavyweight division. Not a guy that was used to be good in Kovlev and he dusted him, but he was losing on points, mind you. But Bivol showed chinks in Canelo Alvarez's armour and he was able to put pressure on. He was able to, I mean, he's got excellent footwork. Bivol's footwork is one of the best in boxing. Um, just try, I've watched him a few times and just the way he moves around the ring is, is exceptional. And he throws a lot of punches, which is what Charlo needs to do. But there is, there is that fight and in the Golovkin fight and the Ryder fight where I feel that Canelo, he done well in the first half of those fights, both Golovkin and Ryder fights, but he allowed his guy to come back. He allowed Ryder. I think he should have finished Ryder off. I think a couple of years ago he would have. And Golovkin is, is nowhere near the level he was at. Clearly, you know, the body work and everything else, he looked like a shot fighter in that ring and he should have got rid of it. And he didn't. So I feel that maybe there is something not quite right with Canelo. Those injuries, Sean, as well. I know Charlo's has had his problems. But those injuries, I mean, myself, I'm 40 years of age. Those injuries I used to get 10 years ago or five years ago, they never. my recovery was quicker. It just generally is. When you get older, the recovery is harder. Maybe his hands are feeling it. I mean, if he wins this, this is going to be his 60th win. It's incredible, you know the amount of fights he's had. And you don't see that anymore. You won't really see that anymore. So for me, I mean, Charlo just needs to look at that Bivol fight, look at the second half of the Golovkin and the Ryder fights. And from that, he can he can see there is a way of winning it. He can feel positive. And he's in a win-win show. He's the undisputed champion, two weights below. He's stepping up when no one expects him to win. The pressure's off him. It's easy for him. Even if he loses this fight, at least he goes out on his shield and tries his best and makes it competitive. Then he walks away a winner. So for him, it's a win-win. And then he can do whatever he wants to do after. Probably drop down to middleweight. I don't see him going back to 154. I can see him sort of sticking, sticking around the middleweight division and picking up some titles there. But it's a win-win, Sean, isn't it? I mean, it is. What, what is there to lose for him? There's nothing to lose, is there? No, there isn't. I suppose it brings us nicely into the point of, of predicting the fight and, and how we think the fight's going to go down. Because, like... You said Charlo was in a win-win situation. 
if he puts on a valiant performance, much like Ryder did, and, and causes a few problems here and there, people are going to go, well, obviously the weight was too much for him. He's bitten off more than it can chew. And that is like excuse 101, isn't it? That, that's going to be the, the, the pre-made... It's the pre-made excuse for him losing this fight. However... If he goes in there and he bullies and he tries to out-hustle and he's able to match him with his weight and the weight doesn't seem to be a difference on the night, we know how Canelo doesn't like to be bullied. We know what he's like when he's backs against the rope and he gets frustrated with himself. We've seen that in the Bivol fight. There is a chance. You know, there is a chance. I'm not writing this off as a one-sided affair. I think Charlo has got the ability to be able to cause an upset here in this fight and end the super middleweight dominance of Canelo Alvarez I think he has I think he genuinely has but given the dominance in the super middleweight division given what Canelo is able to do in a ring you have to naturally side with him as a fighter as the one that will will take Charlo the distance and get another win under his resume and have his next fight another big money fight possibly and you kind of see Charlo like you said win winning out of this situation I think Canelo wins it. I'm going to be honest. I think he wins it. After, I think it goes the distance. I don't see him stopping Charlo unless the inactivity and the ring rust and everything that I mentioned earlier and the weight is is a problem for him. If if it, all of that becomes a problem in the fight, then yeah, I, I could see maybe a late stoppage on the on the cards. But I don't think yeah, I don't think he'll stop him. I think Charlo will go the distance. I think it will be competitive throughout the fight. But I think. Canelo will get the decision and we'll move on from it but as I've said and I'm going to say it again because I know these things do happen in the sport I would not be surprised in the early hours of Sunday morning if Charlo came out of there and bullied his way to a victory and caused uh, an upset I wouldn't I wouldn't and that's why I'm not going to write him off in this fight I think there's a there's a there's a good chance that he could do that however I'm going to side with Alvarez on this one, Johnson. I think he takes it the distance and you know, gets a victory and then we all start thinking about what is next, really, for, for Alvarez at this point. What do you think about the fight, ultimately? Do you think Charlo, as I've said, has got a good chance or is it just kind of playing and setting your mind it's a Canelo win? I think he's got a great chance. He's, he's physically, he's, his physicality, I should say, he, he he's more than built and ready for this. His athleticism, he could pose problems for Canelo um, he needs to be very active he does he needs to use his footwork well he needs to sort of find that distance he does know when to go in and when to come out I mean look at the Castano fight he made improvements from the draw and he was he was excellent I, I really did enjoy his performance so but Castano is not Canelo and um, he's not going to be able to I don't think he's going to be physically that much stronger I don't think he's going to be stronger than Canelo Canelo's a natural super middleweight now for me um, and this is his first fight in this division, Charlo. So uh, it's, it's it's really tricky because you just can't really assess what he's going to be like and how powerful he might be. I don't think he's going to be powerful enough to push Canelo back, but he's got to be clever. He can't be moving in straight lines. He's, I mean, you can see he's got good footwork himself where he steps to the left, steps to the right, if he needed to, um, negates the distance. He needs to use that jab really well um, and, and get that off and try and, pop Canelo's head off and keep him away and maybe score some points that way and be elusive and then when he can and if he can get in close enough throw some combinations my fear is is when Canelo lands something there's anyone that can ever throw a punch just one punch that can turn a fight it's this guy 
and we've seen with some of them body punches, Sean, and any he, he can throw from all sorts of angles. I can see one sneaking in right under the ribs, like a really hard, just early in the fight as well. And I think that sort of thing just plays on fighters' minds. You know, when you're, you, you're sort of feeling confident and then he'll hit you with something and it just deflates that confidence from you. And I, I can see that happening. I can see Canelo taking it pretty early. And then Charlo will need to put his foot down. He's going to have to do it. And, it, and the fact is he knows he's going to have to knock him out to win this fight. He's not going to knock him out. He ain't even going to knock him down. The only way, the only way it stops maybe an accidental clash of heads or something. You know, that, that, that is probably the only way he gets the result. He's not going to knock him out. And he's not going to be dominant enough as what Bivol was to get a decision on points. It's just not going to happen. How dominant was Bivol, Sean? And that them judges' scorecards too, and they had it close. That was never a close fight. So for me, I just think it's it's it's, a, it's the Canelo show. Canelo only needs to win four or five of the rounds, and then in the next rounds, just win by one single heavy shot, which is what he will do, no matter what Charlo does. So for me, I think Canelo does take it on points. There may be a, a stoppage. Maybe. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past it. I wouldn't put it past Charlie Brown to do it. It could be very controversial. Though. You might, the next, when you wake up in the morning, if you, if you don't watch the fight, you're going to watch it in the morning or you're going to watch it live. There's going to be a blow up on social media. I feel that Charlo was winning this fight and Charlo probably should have won it. Um, there is good betting lines for a draw, by the way, if anyone wants a little stab on that. But um, yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I think Canelo just, in terms of the way the judging is, I know it's ridiculous, but, and he is just a different class. I still think he is class in there. He just wins it by enough. So yeah, that's how I see it. Charlo has to put it on him second half of the fight. I can't see him sustaining that pressure though, Sean. We'll see. Well, we'll get to see. And of course, there are many other fights going on this weekend. And before we move to the other significant fights of the weekend, we've just got to obviously take a couple of minutes, really, just to mention some of the fights on this undercard. Because there are some really good fights, some really well-matched fights that I'm actually looking forward to tuning into. And Jordanius Ugas is one of them against Mario Barrios for the WBC Interim Welterweight Championship. That is going to be an interesting fight. I'm looking forward to that. Alexander Gerdvik, he is making another fight return. He's come back and, you know, he's um, he's on a bit of a comeback trail. This is his third fight this year so far. One in February, one in May, and now this fight. His last fight was against Ricard Belotniks when he got that stoppage in six rounds. And he's got Isaac Rodriguez, 28-4. and four. So, it, genuinely, the, the, there's obviously some real intent with Gerdvik since he took some time away from the ring to... To, to do something in, in this light heavyweight division. So I'm interested to see what, what goes on now with him because when you see a fighter coming back, you think, ah, you know, maybe they'll just get one or two fights and, and, and that'll be them. But it looks like there's some genuine intent going on here. So I'm interested to see if he gets the victory here and, and where that leads to, whether he decides to maybe, you know, call out another light heavyweight. It'll be interesting. Uh, Frank Sanchez, the heavyweight, is going into the ring against Scott Alexander. He's looking to go to 23-0. and It'll be an interesting fight to see him in action again and to see where that sort of puts him in this heavyweight division, which I know is something we are going to mention at the end of the show. Uh, and then you've got other fighters involved in this. We've got Terrell Geisha on the card. You've got Beck Nurem Ganabet, 10-0, also in there in the super middleweight division. So there are some good fighters on there. And also on this card is a Floyd Mayweather protege, Kermel Moten. I think I pronounced it right, Kamel Moten. This is the fighter, for anybody that doesn't know who he is, who Floyd Mayweather believed should have had a shot 
at Lee Wood's featherweight title. This is that fighter, Johnston, who, a very young fighter, who he believes, Floyd Mayweather believes, is good enough now, even though he's not even made his debut, he's good enough now to beat Lee Wood. And he makes his debut on this card. So, if that doesn't give you sort of the want and the need to actually watch this guy in action, I don't know what will. So, there's definitely going to be tuning in to see how good this guy is and see if he's any good. But he's actually fighting an undefeated fighter in his Equio Flores, who's 4-0 in his debut in the Super Featherweight division. So, I will be tuning into that fight with intrigue to see if he's as good as what people are saying he is. So, it is a pretty good card, isn't it? It's definitely worth tuning into some of these fights. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Kamel Moten, um, good amateur pedigree. I mean, he's only 17, 17 years of age, and he's had like 50 fights as an amateur. He won 48 of them, and he lost three. So, you can see where Mayweather's coming from. This kid's obviously got some skills. Um, I think he's a yeah, 17. Jesus Christ. Talk about Fram to the dogs. I don't think that's a wise idea. Uh, for Mayweather, I'd say, you know, give him a good few fights first. Let's see what he's all about. And then uh, look at maybe trying to push a world title fighter in his career if that's what you want to do. But definitely, once, you know, when someone says that about a fighter, no matter who it is, especially at the level that Mayweather was at, you start thinking, oh, okay, okay, we'll have a little look at this guy now. And so he's, if anything, Hope Sean, he's probably put, put pressure on him, poor kid. That's 17 years of age. Everyone's going to be expecting fireworks. Hopefully, you can bring him. Uh, but yeah, the only other fight, on, one, all the fights on there, I mean, Gerdvek, obviously, again, he looks like he's serious, as you said, Sean. Frank Sanchez, you know, you expect him to be getting a knockout win, at least a win, uh, to add to his victories and push himself up that heavyweight rankings to try and get himself in a big fight. And um, Ugas Barrios, I quite like that fight. It's a nice, easy, even fight, that. Um, saying that, Barrios, obviously, knew him 10 years younger than Ugas. Ugas feels like he's been around forever. Um, and I, f- I fancy Barrios that it, it's a take it actually I've, I've you know I, I like the kid uh, I say kid he's, he's only a few years younger than me but um, I've enjoyed when I've seen him fight before yeah he's got a couple of defeats on his record to Keith Furman and, and Davis but you know the Santiago fight I did watch and I thought it was quite impressive so yeah looking forward to that I think it's quite an even fight but I'm going to go Barrios for that and seeing uh, Lub, uh, Lubin back again against uh, Ramos Jr I think that's another exciting fight to keep an eye it's not a bad card it really ain't um yeah, I think there's a couple of even fights in there and then you've got the main event. So, yeah, looking forward to a decent night of action. Well, we switched to the UK and the big fight happening over here at Wembley Arena is Jai Apataya defending his IBF World Cruiserweight Championship for the first time since he won it last year against Marius Bradis. He's going in there against 15-0, Manchester's very own Jordan Thompson. Really interested in watching this fight, to be honest, because... I didn't expect Jordan Thompson to get a world title shot. That no. was kind of... Sorry to interrupt. Wow. How? How did this happen? It took me by surprise. This it, this is this is because of the issues that Jai Opataya's team had with Ben Shalom at Boxer because supposedly, supposedly, this was supposed to be Jai Opataya and Richard Reactport. And then... I was reading a lot of stuff on social media and a big shout out to Matt Clark as well. Matt Clark is, he works in Australia, he works as part of a management team and promotional company. He listens to a lot of our stuff and and, and really enjoys the Career Profiles podcast that we do. But he, he told me on Twitter through direct messaging, and I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this, I think 
what happened is they said they were going to take the fight. So Richard Reactor's team said they were going to take the fight and then they pulled out and then they claimed that they didn't pull out. And there was all this hoo-ha and he said, she said situation. So what's happened is then they've approached Jordan Thompson and, and you obviously used him as a, a voluntary defence and that's where we're at at the moment. So Jordan Thompson steps in and gets his opportunity and Jai Opataya is defending his title for the first time. And again, I feel a little bit like the whole Canelo-Jalo situation where obviously Opataya got a broken jaw in the Brady's fight and has not fought since July last year, since he won the title. I'm surprised the IBF let him keep it for as long as they did, if I'm being totally honest, because the IBF loved to strip fighters due to inactivity pretty quickly. So the fact that he's still got the title really surprises me. But he has, and he's defending it against Jordan, which is a huge opportunity for Jordan, who has been more active, of course, than Jai Opataya. Jordan Thompson's got the power to cause problems for Opataya. But what we've seen in his fight against Brady is that he can take a punch, clearly. He fought with a broken jaw in that fight. He knows how to take a punch. He knows how to survive. And he did a really good job in beating Marius Brady in that fight. But again, I question the lack of time in the ring as a result of, of that injury. Is it going to be a problem for him when Jordan's been really active and he can really punch? It's it's a really good fight. I am actually looking forward to this because obviously I'm rooting for Jordan and what I see him do well, of course. He's spent a lot of time previously in camp with Tyson Fury, so he will have learned a lot of stuff from him. But he's going into a fight here now where he's got the opportunity to win a world title and I think this 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 he's going to win if he's going to win a world title. I think, and I'd say this would be his chance now. This would be the moment for him to do it. But we haven't really seen the best of Apatia yet because we got to see him in the fight where he won the title, and it was like a real coming out party where he'd stepped up and he'd not had that big step up, and this was the acid test, and he won it, and he did really well. It was a really good fight against Bradis, but we we haven't really seen the best of him because he wasn't able to have the rematch with Bradis, and now we're here where we're at. And if he wins the fight, does he get credit for winning the fight against Thompson, who also hasn't stepped up against anybody as yet in that regard? Or will Thompson come in there and just end the reign pretty quickly for him? So I think it's a really well-matched fight. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, um, he's got a great opportunity. Jordan has come out of nowhere for him, and he's decided to take it with both hands. Um, Upper tie, I was really impressed with against uh, Marius Bradis. I thought... um, I mean, fighting with a broken jaw as well. Um, that's that just shows you this guy's not only a good boxer, but he's got some t- determination, some real grit to get through that. Um, and 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 I like it. I do like Opatai because he has got, you know, he's a very very good boxer. He's very slick. He's quick, um, and I can see him just do going back to those basics. But as you say, you know, coming on the back of a long layoff after busting your jaw. Um, to then fight face a guy like Thompson, who is a heavy hitter, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes and with his jaw and whether it's going to, whether that may play a part and be a factor and not so much physically, but more mentally when you finally get that big first big punch and whether he can take it, which is completely different when you're inspiring. I mean, look, there's there's problems with when you look at Thompson, for instance. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he can get through the fight with, with the jaw issue. But other than that, I do think he's a better fighter than Thompson. You've seen vulnerabilities in Thompson with, with the car fight where he got put down. Um, so he, he, you know, although he went on to win the fight by decision, I still feel that there could be some problems there uh, with him. He worked the body well against Watkins. So Thompson's going to have to try and do that against Opatia to try and slow him down. 
it's, it is a closer fight. It is close. It, you know, Thompson's got a great opportunity. I just feel that with Opatai, I feel that the performance building against Bradis, if he can do the same thing, he can outbox Thompson and take a, a, a quite a clear, convincing victory and then move on to other things. Uh, but it's a great opportunity, Sean. You're right. Thompson has got to take it with both hands. Just go for, go for broke, work that body and try and land something big on him and hopefully finish him off. But I, I'm edging off the tyre, uh, 60-40. Good fight. Looking forward to it. It is, uh, for me, it's the biggest fight in the UK this weekend. It is, it's a really good fight. Really excited about it. On the undercard is Ellie Scott in his defence of the IBF World Super Bantamweight title against Laura Solidad Griffa. She's defending that title after winning the title in her last performance, which I'm looking forward to. I think this 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 will be a, a good standard defence for her. I mean, she's fighting somebody who, obviously, you know, in her last five fights has lost three and won two. So I'm expecting this to be a good defence of the title for, you know, a good sort of move forward in her career after her winning the title, which which is good. And, and it was great that she, she, she finally got... That, that that title as a as a result of beating Shaneka Johnson in the last fight, which I thought was a was a really really good win for her in that last fight. But this is, feels like you know a good standard defence for her, a good opportunity to to sort of showcase herself before she maybe moves on for for a bigger fight. And then also on the card, you've got Siobhan Clark who's looking to move to seven and zero. He's fighting for the IBF International Cruiserweight Championship, which is currently vacant against Vassal Dakar, Rhiannon Dixon. Former white collar fighter, now eight and zero, and she's going in there for the European lightweight championship against Katharina Vandes, who fought Terry Harper a few fights ago. So big step up for Rhiannon in this fight, and I'm really excited for her as well. After winning the Commonwealth title in her last fight in March this year, she's now moving straight in to fight for the European title in this fight. And as I said. If you didn't know her story, she did come from the white collar scene and did transition into professional boxing. And she's actually someone I'd love to get on the show uh, as a once to watch or maybe a, a sort of a rising star episode because she's certainly going to be fighting for a world title. I'm absolutely 100% sure she will be fighting for a world title probably in the next 12 months. But she's got to get through Katharina Thandres in this fight, which is going to be no easy task for her. But I am confident she actually gets through this fight. You're looking at other prospects on this card. You've got George Ledard, Jimmy Sainz, who's making his debut, Maisie Rose Courtney and Shannon Ryan all make up the rest of this card, which is on the zone from Wembley Arena. But, again, it's not the only fight card that's on this weekend. We're actually spoiled a little bit this weekend because Boxer also have a card on Sky at York Hall with Caroline Dubois fighting for the vacant IBO World Lightweight title against Magali Rodriguez, 22-6-4. This is the most experienced opponent that Caroline's faced, but given her potential, given her amateur career and, and where the trajectory seems to be going for her, you really wouldn't put this past her becoming an IBO champion, would you? Yeah, really impressed with Caroline's start as a professional. She was a tremendous amateur. I thought she was going to stay around and sort of fight in Paris, to be fair. I thought she might have moved to the pro game a little bit too quickly, but um, she's exceeding what I expected. She's actually knocking people out as well, which is impressive. Uh, although Rodriguez is the older fighter, the more experienced fighter, you know, 22-6-4. and four. It's not a bad record. I think Caroline deals with her. I think she picks up her first title. And in, in a few years, when maybe Katie's retired, I think Caroline's the girl to take up the mantelpiece and just go on and become a world champion and, and become a unified, undisputed and move through the weights. I really do think Caroline is 
a future star in the making. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing her again. Uh, hopefully coming out to Sweet Caroline. I love all that. Um, and um, taking on a strong Mexican, which she could stop, you know, Sean. I, I fancy a stoppage here for Caroline, another one. Um, yeah, the, the, the world's her oyster. She's so young and she's so talented. She's just a, a great girl to watch. Well, it's not really that bad of a car because you've got a few good competitive fights on it. Obviously, you've got Dubois versus Rodriguez. Then you've got Vidal Riley, who's looking to go 10-0 against 12-0 Nathan Qualas for the English Cruiserweight Championship, the vacant English Cruiserweight Championship, I must add as well. This is a big fight for both of these guys. They're both looking to, to get that title and move on in their careers. But Vidal's looks really good so far, and I have actually been impressed with his transition. So... You know, I'm looking forward to seeing whether he can step that up even further. But he's fighting an undefeated fighter who's also got really good pedigree who could absolutely beat him. So it's a really well-matched fight, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, Callum Simpson, 12-0, returns to the ring in his toughest step up yet against Jose De Jesus Macias, who's 28-12-4. He was supposed to be fighting Jermaine Brown on this card. Jermaine's had to pull out due to injury, so now he's got a different type of test but also a difficult test in front of him but a lot's been made of him in the super middleweight division and I do believe he is he's one of those fighters that we are really going to start seeing some big fights in this division very very soon also on this card the debut of Francesca Hennessy that is the daughter of promoter Mick Hennessy and of course the sister of Michael Hennessy Jr of course he's also boxing as well so it's going to be interesting to watch a lot of these fighters progress, but it is another card that is on this weekend. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of channel hopping going on or, you know, uh, multiple screens. If the, if that's what you do, laptop and telly, if you're going to be watching these fights this weekend, because there are a lot of fights going on in the UK this weekend. Some, some really good, significant fights that we've gone through in this episode. But I mentioned earlier, Johnston, about the Otto Wallin and Murat Gassiev fight, which I think is a, a really underrated one that's happening in Turkey as well for the WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. And But obviously we haven't really seen either of those guys sort of do anything significant as, a, as, a, as of recent times. I think... For me, Wallin is a really underrated fighter. Since since he fought Tyson Fury, which was, again, a controversial fight against Fury, uh, the people felt that should have been stopped because of how bad the cut really was. And at the time, it should have been stopped. I think people felt that maybe Otto Wallin would have got the win there. But since that defeat, he's fought Dominic Brazil, he's fought Camille Sokolowski, Rydell Booker, and then he won his last fight by decision earlier this year and he's back in against a very tough tough test in Murat Gassiev who we know obviously very well when he used to be in the cruiserweight division famously fighting Alexander Usyk in 2018 since then he decided to move up to the heavyweight division but he hasn't fought anybody of significance in the heavyweight division and this would be the first big fight that he's really having so I'm looking forward to that because I do think that is also a, a potential 50-50. I'd probably sway more towards Volin because I think he's a better fighter overall. But it is definitely one that you know we want to be tuning into. We want to see where these two guys land after this fight happens and, and how that affects the heavyweight division. And I suppose that leads nicely into the chat about the heavyweight division. This was something you said you wanted to bring to the table at the end of the show. This is a good time to do it. Yeah, it is. I mean, yes, to be fair, um, Gassiev... The Dulcicus fight, I remember that in 2018. The stunner in Sochi, what a belter of a fight that was. Um, yeah, tremendous fight. And uh, it was good. I mean, Gassiev, 
guess yeah, it's weird in sort of seeing him in heavyweight division because he hasn't really been challenged himself, and now he's got a good chance against Otto Volin to prove whether he's actually a good, a decent fighter or not. So yeah, it's an intriguing one this one actually, the, the Volin Gassiev, and I didn't even know about it until you mentioned it to me before doing this. And yeah, I'm 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 excited to see that. Um, just I'm excited to see how Gassiev gets on because I just feel like he's you know he's turned heavyweight in 2020 and he's like three years on and he's not really fought anyone in any real note. So. His opportunity. He's only 29, to be fair. He's not that old for uh, heavyweights either. So, yeah, interesting that. But, yeah, the extra conversation to end this is the heavyweights because um, the one thing I've noticed over the last few days is heavyweight promoters already playing mind games with each other, which I found quite fascinating. I thought it was something we could talk about. You've had Frank Warren publicly coming out suggesting that AJ would not take the risk in fighting old Silip Bang Zhang. Um, yet the Chinaman called out Tyson Fury and not Anthony Joshua. Um, I think he's clearly trying to remove Fury away from that conversation because I don't think he wants to risk Tyson Fury, to be honest with you. Um, then Eddie Earn comes out and suggests that AJ would fight Zhang in December. Thought he was fighting Wilder next. Uh, yet nothing heard or said from either fighters. It's just funny. The, what the conversation we had in, in the last pod when we'd done the Joyce Zhang um episode is that we said it would I felt AJ Wilde had forced them into a fight already the promoters are getting a bit touchy I think that's what I wanted to say really that's the point I'm trying to make it Warren trying to turn it away from Fury and put it on Anthony Joshua and then you've got Hearn then saying no AJ would fight him in December but is he not fighting Wilder then so yeah it just I feel that that Zhang performance has made the promoters even more touchy than the fighters I think it has. I think, you know, we did the Joyce Reaction Show and that went out a couple of days ago. And if you haven't listened to that, we, there was a big conversation around the fact that we've both felt like this this Dang victory's forced potential different outcomes as a result of his victory about people avoiding Zhang and, and, and maybe Tyson Fury being the one that kind of holds the cards and maybe Joshua and Wilder has to happen because who, who's going to want to take that risk when there's a big payday on the table in Saudi? So... He does force this this conversation to to happen, and obviously the promoters are kind of like, well, well, I'm not one saying I'm not interested, and the other saying his fighter is interested. So it's it's, I think a lot of it is just they 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 will say what they need to say at this point, but I think Zhang is a high risk and low reward fight for for anybody in the heavyweight division now, and I think that is the issue. It, for, it should force other fights to happen, bigger fights, fights that we've wanted to see for some time happen. But it may be the case that a better deal gets put on the table. If someone comes along, like a Chinese consortium comes along and says, you know what, we want to stage a big fight in China between Zile Zhang and Anthony Joshua or Zile Zhang and Tyson Fury or Zile Zhang and Deontay Wilder and they, they throw a shit ton of money at it, I think the promoters are going to have a different type of outlook on it because if there's you know a hundred million going on the table which i know is a bit of an extortionate amount but it's not without the realms of possibility of happening is it so if that was put on the table i think people's opinions would change i think people's interpretation of a potential fight would certainly change but it really does all boil down to to what happens next with other negotiations going on for other fights and and how that plays out but it's a good good point to raise really with with what's been going on since the Joyce lost to Zhang and since our pod that we did earlier in the week when we talked about the fight and the outcomes of it and the potentials of fights in the heavyweight division 
it's funny how in just a couple of days things can sort of shift and mindsets can change within boxing as to what is what is relevant and, and what is not. I suppose that is the nature of what boxing media has always been about. But it is very interesting. It's, it's good that you brought that up because anybody that did listen to the pod a couple of days ago will be then now realising that actually there's there's a difference of opinion between the promoters and as I said, I think that could change if someone comes along and throws a lot of money on the table and says, here you go, fight Zhang in China, take your pick, who do you want to fight, who wants to come to China and take that opportunity and that risk, but if there was big money on the table, I'm pretty sure Frank Warren would be changing his opinion and Eddie Hearn would be absolutely already on the plane to China if that meant there was a lot of money involved in it, so I'm sure we'll see as the months go on and as the years comes into fruition with 2024 and, and how things play out and whether we get the big fight in Saudi between Joshua and Wilder. It is really interesting. It does it does got to give a lot of theoretical possibilities, which gives a lot of boxing media outlets uh, a lot of things to talk about, including ourselves, of course. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how things have changed in the last couple of days already after doing the reaction pod. But this is the Big Fight Preview pod, and this pod has been all about Canelo's fight with Jamel Charlo this coming weekend. We both believe that it is going to be a victory for Sal Canelo Alvarez. And of course, if you also believe the same, or if you believe otherwise, then it'd be a good time to get in touch with us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, or the BTR Boxing Podcast Network Facebook page, or on Instagram, or on TikTok. If you want to speak to us via YouTube, you can do so via that as well. But please make sure you've subscribed to the podcast on any available podcasting app that is out there, including Google, including Apple, including Spotify. And a big shout out has to go to the patrons of the podcast for supporting us separately and having that membership that allows them early access to episodes, add free versions of episodes, patron-only content that doesn't get released to the general public. And just supporting us in general is, is really appreciated so a big thank you to all of you guys for supporting us and to everybody else thank you for listening thank you for tuning into our shows and please make sure you're continuing to tune into the career profiles podcast as the second part of the Manny Pacquiao career profile is now available so please make sure you get in touch with us if you've enjoyed those episodes but that is it for this episode thank you for listening to the big fight preview and we'll see you next time Podcast Network.